Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the latest PR Moment Podcast. On the show today, we're talking to Madan Bahal, who is co-founder of India's largest PR firm. Madan and I are going to be talking about how, as an independent firm, AdFactors has grown from being one of a pack of highly regarded Indian PR agencies to becoming the biggest PR firm in India, frankly, by a long, long way. It's a story that any independent PR firm founder or CEO should hear, because while it's an inspirational story, it's also a story of hard work and risk, but ultimately reward. Many of the listeners of this podcast are from the UK and the US and may be less familiar with the story of AdFactors. For context, it is by miles India's biggest PR firm. AdFactors has a fee income of about $50 million. Uh, Their nearest rival is less than half that size uh, and all of the big PR, US PR firms have a presence in India, including Edelman, BCW and Weber. So to give it a UK equivalent, if you like, uh, the largest independent British-owned firm in the UK is Freud's. It would be like Freud's being more than twice the size of Edelman in London. So Ad Factors is quite a remarkable story. And today its co-founder, Madan Bahal, is on the show to give his insight into independent PR firm owners everywhere on how to scale their business and take on and potentially win against the group-owned firms. 2022 marks 25 years since AdFactors PR was founded. And for background, PRM has a presence in India. So the growth of AdFactors is one I've witnessed over the last 10 years or so. Madan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Happy to be here. So we're sharing a significant birthday this year, aren't we, Madan? It's 10 years since uh, PRM launched in India. Uh, but more importantly, it's 25 years since AdFactors PR was founded. With 25 years of hindsight, uh, you must be pretty pleased with how it's all progressed. I think uh, the words that come to my mind are I feel grateful, I feel blessed. Um, It's a time and day to acknowledge the huge amount of work done by my colleagues and partners over the last two and a half decades. It's also an acknowledgement of the trust, the clients in India, and we have some 600 of them. And the vast ecosystem of business in India has placed in ad factors. So you can be nothing else but grateful and blessed. But but what is what the, the where we stand today and look back is history. Uh, and it only has so much relevance. But when I look ahead, I never drive with my eyes on the rear view mirror. I always drive with the with the with the view ahead. And yeah. what I see yeah. ahead makes me feel vulnerable and makes me feel worried because the scale of disruption and the scale of complexity that we are seeing that the world will expect the public relations firm to come and counsel on. The the I don't think the public relations firm, by and large, at least I can say in my context, is evolving to deal with the same level of complexity in terms of its counsel. So that makes me feel a little worried, but but one one should keep doing one's best and and hope that we will keep navigating these things in the times to come. Okay, well we'll talk about that um, a little bit later on. But I, I know one thing that you were 
very proud um, about was that you were re- recently uh, inducted into the um, the Page Hall of Fame, which I, I sense was a, a significant moment for you personally. Again, one can say uh, I will, and one feels happy, one feels grateful for being considered uh, in uh, in really uh, uh, when you compare uh, to the to the kind of giants who have got got this recognition earlier. You feel like a Lilliput amongst a galaxy of Gullivers. <laughs> uh, the earlier recipients being Danny Dillman and Al Gollin and uh, Marjorie Cross and uh, uh, Richard Edelman. You you really feel, well, maybe it's a validation of 25 years of work or more. And it keeps you inspired to keep walking on that path uh, in the time ahead. So, Sure. Just how I it. Well, as you've just said, you don't like talking about the past. Um, so I'll, this will be my last question, just, just looking back in hindsight. But for our, our non-Indian readers, and it may be indeed for some of our Indian readers as well, just talk me through, because um, it's a remarkable growth story, isn't it, over the last, um, I don't know, seven years or so. Adfactors went from something like um, an $18 million firm in 2005 sorry, 2015, I should say, um, to a 50 million plus dollar firm in, in 2022, because that takes some doing, doesn't it? I mean, that's an easy thing to say, but when you actually think about that for a moment uh, and think about the number of, of client wins um, and, and, and the amount of growth and hard work involved in that, that is that is going some. I think there are few things one would like to put in context. And one of them is that the industry itself has grown. So we have grown. Yep. Now, whether we got a slightly larger share of the growing market or a little lesser share, that's the difference. But I think everybody must have grown. Yeah. Uh, the second, uh, two or three other factors that may have helped act factors was we latched on to the internet economy four or five years ago. We said, that is where the disruption is. That is where the smart money is going. And that is where ad factors should be focused on. So if you take uh, the months that we're talking about, nearly 35 to 40% of our clients are from the internet economy. Of course, it has its own challenges. There is always some turbulence. But that helped us to, to scale up very rapidly. That helps us to learn new skills. It helped us to develop a new uh, agility and an attitude of service. It's not easy to deal with the internet economy startups. The I think the last thing, the two other things was, how do you keep investing in remaining relevant over the time? So every year that comes, you remain incrementally relevant. How do you invest in your leadership? Becomes another point. Leaders are, finally leaders determine what a firm is. And if you were to ask me what is the other distinct part, I think Adfectus has remained true to the craft and value proposition of public relations in a world where there can be a lot of distraction about paid and, and very creative communications and so on. We said our value proposition is earned influence and we are going to remain focused on it. I think that has helped a lot. Okay. So do you do you do does our factors do any paid media? Do you try and have, have that integrated approach or do you just concentrate on earn? That's quite interesting. There is a 
there is a very very small amount of paid uh-huh. when when paid is absolutely necessary but otherwise i think 99.8% of the revenue comes from art okay that's interesting isn't it because uh, as you say there's there's been a a rush for many firms to try and uh, create an integrated proposition which maybe does mean that you um you you lose your specialism a bit um we'll come on to some of the people stuff you talked about there later because um again for for people who are less familiar with the ad factor story you've always had a a proposition around training and 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 people and all that sort of stuff but I, so i definitely want to talk about that in a moment or so but i just want to focus um a little bit on the that that independent pr firm story because independent pr firms globally have had a pretty good 10 years um and you're the uh, owner arguably of the, the the world's most successful independent pr firm um uh, what would your advice be for your independent agency peers i think first i would like to reiterate the fact that independence today is a strategic advantage the network firm owning has lost its agility and adaptability to to move i i am told that even if if somebody has to buy a laptop in india they have the cfo sitting in manhattan has to give the clearance so the the agility which in the world that we live in is very important is compromised but i mean i can't give advice but i'll i'll make a few points the important thing is to run your business and if you're never going to sell it okay hire people who are smarter than you always better like the matryoshka dolls in russia which is a small doll in a doll in a bigger doll which is in a bigger doll and you keep opening so hire people who are better and better than you i i read this some 30 40 years ago in a book by david ogilvy uh, i think it was confessions of an advertising man and it left such a mark on me that i have never forgotten that philosophy even for a day the third is democratize power responsibility and problem solving more particularly within the organization to the smallest possible level so that you are you are uh, eliminated from the burden of you know carrying it all on your head i think these things have worked for me and 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 stay dependent and and run your business as if you never want to sell it to all i would say just on that last one i i i just delve a little bit into that was that a, a sort of a delegation point if you see what i mean to, to try and not take too much on on the founder's shoulders is that what you mean there yeah i i mean that and and delegation not only a specific thing delegate everything delegate financial decisions we recently made offices in bombay and delhi additional offices uh we must have invested millions of dollars in those uh at least a few million dollars because there's a large large capacity added i haven't deliberately looked into it even for one minute either on the budget aspect or what is going in or what color or how many seats i yeah. just left it to the people who know it best yeah my own, all my verticals are being managed by absolutely independent people so so you free up your time and time for doing things that that are necessary to down working on the business not in the business and and all that i suppose um yeah. okay um just you touched on it a moment ago you must have had offers to to sell the business over the years were you ever tempted in the last 15 years we've been steadfast in this belief that we're not selling it so now people have even stopped approaching but there was a time i think between 2005 and 2008 just before the global meltdown when 
we came reasonably close to selling. One was, uh, of course, a large network. Uh, another was a private equity firm. In both cases, we almost reached the term sheet level. And then for some reason or the other, the deal didn't go through. In hindsight, it is just as well that, that it didn't happen. And uh, we are enjoying the fruits of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I watch these things from what, a nine hour flight away. Um, but you, well, whenever I talk to you, you're, you're, you're so um, passionate about the people side of the business. And you seem to have invested heavily in your, your senior leadership team over the last few years. Those senior recruits, they're the toughest to get right, aren't they? You see it so much. India has a very specific problem. I mean, I would imagine that in a developer, a mature industry like UK or the US or parts of Europe, you have people available. Well, you have to spend maybe 2% more or 5% more or 10% more to get them. Uh, also, the intermarket kind of mobilization is easier uh, from UK to the US or maybe parts of Europe to, to UK or somewhere. In India, we simply don't have that talent. And uh, it is almost a crisis situation, the leadership part of it. There are many, many problems uh, that lead to that crisis. One, there's a demand to supply mismatch. The number of leaders we need for a fast-growing industry to the number of leaders that are there. The second is there's a mismatch of competences required in the new world to the competences available, even among the people who are available. Okay. Third is a price to capability mis mismatch, what they expect to get for what they have versus what they really have. When you add up all this, it, it, it is a serious situation. Right. Well, that's interesting because well, over here, I watched them go wrong because of reasons for culture, if you see what I mean. So they, it's just different agencies have different cultures and it doesn't quite fit. But that's not what you're, you, you just said, it's a complete mismatch between supply and demand. Supply and demand, capabilities required and capabilities available. Right. So how did I, there's not an obvious solution for that, Martin, is there? Um, I mean, I suppose I could pack my bags and come on over, but beyond that, what's, what's your plan? I think it, it, has to, it has to work at two levels. One is, what are the other disciplines that can, with some, some degree of assurance, give us good leaders? So consulting is one space we are turning to. We are turning to law. Turn into journalism. That we have been doing for a long time. Senior editor level people. We are turning to equity research. We are turning to marketing. So we are, we are expanding our pool for the leadership from all these things. The second part is having a very long range view of developing internal leaders and create, giving them an environment where they can stay for a long time. We have a vision that sees, okay, somebody is only three years in Adfectus, what will this person be doing, your partner be doing 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Now, some, some might say in a world, in an uncertain world, that's a utopian view. But when we have that view and, and they're grooming and spending a lot of time and energy and, and money in, in ensuring a strategic pipeline of leadership from within, even while we're taking people from outside. So I think this is how we want to solve the problem. And I suppose giving them a reason not to want to leave. Do you know what I mean? It's that's that's what I see a lot within consultancy business because you know that the, the differences between the employees within consultancy world are not huge very often, are they? So you you do need to look after your own people. 
there is no other choice and and you should do it because it is a dharma or it is a duty it you should do it because you have to keep the value of their cv relevant all the time and growing all the time and i think that that imposes a reverse reverse responsibility on the founders of any organization that your people can grow only when the firm grows if the firm doesn't grow people don't grow certainly right yeah growth itself has to be a mission level objective yeah well i think any business is so much easier to run if it's growing isn't it um because you can start making positive decisions if a business is static or worse uh, declining in revenues you start you know trading budgets get cut you can't give people pay rises and it all starts getting quite difficult we touched on the trading and development stuff there what sort of things do you do i mean i'm conscious a lot of the people for this podcast are coming at this from a, a, a us or a, a uk or a european um perspective um what what is good training of, of your people and development of your people look like in india do you think do you think it's the same sort of stuff as you see um in other parts of the world or you do something a bit different there will be some parts common and maybe some parts different in our context so right now the two most important things that we are dealing with is how does one migrate earned influence to digital so i'm not too obsessed with digital creative digital campaigns digital this can i do deploy digital in a big way to 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 expand the arc of earned influence what does that mean what do you mean by that that by that i mean let's say until until very very recently much of the storytelling that we would do would get communicated to the stakeholders through let's say the mass media whether it was newspaper or television or, or whatever else today we have uh, the online publication today we have individual influencers i'll give an example uh, there is one lady influencer who talks on capital markets the total followership on youtube of this one person is twice the circulation of all the newspapers business newspapers and all the business magazines combined in it with so the paradigm of influence has changed okay. now there are community groups there are at least 50 communities for example talking about stocks and capital markets how do you how do you find your voice there so when you when you take this as an expanded arc of earned influence and it's not the large influence you know even micro influencers and and find a relationship with them find a way of giving them content that they can use this i think is expanding the arc of earned influence i see what you mean um just sort of finishing on that training point um what what's ad factors roughly what is ad factors training budget per head because um i think that'd be interesting to know i suspect it's a bit more than some other firms out there so i will i will go back to your previous question for a moment more so beyond digital developing a strategic mindset on really what problem are we solving for the client yeah. how strategic is that issue itself and even while we will have a number of things on a day to day basis which is business as usual or tactical or operational is there something for each client that we are addressing which is strategic to which is life and death existential threat or an exponential opportunity the third part that that we are we are investing in in our people is how well do they understand business one of the common problems in pr both on the consulting side and the comp side is a relatively poor understanding of business as business itself 
And the fourth is leadership and soft skills. On what we are spending, if you take the 900,000 people that AdFactors has on the plant service inside, uh, I think that budget would be about $1,500 per person per year. Okay. So how many people did you say on the client servicing side for AdFactors? About 900 people. 900. Okay. Wow. Um, your... Relationship with uh, Rajesh Chaturvedi is is such an interesting one, isn't it? You were you were your partners in that in that Ad Factors story. You've worked together for, for twenty five years. Um, there's quite a few partnerships in 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 any in lots of um, independent agencies. But what do you think is the secret for making that such a, a long term and successful partnership? I think you have to take the business out of it and bring the human being first. Okay. So generosity of a limit unlimited kind. You treat the partner as your brother or your sister. And you're willing to both partners, two or three or whatever the number of partners, they're willing to forgive each other for a number of things. <laughs> cover each other's, you play to each one's strength and cover the other person's weakness. That generosity is very important. The, the clear belief that we will retire together and it's not Conditional, it is not short term, it is not if you do this, I will do this. The, the, the last thing I think comes that is a realization that in professional services firms in general, a diet, which means two people driving something, works better than one person doing it. Yeah. yeah. So I think we have, we have actually put these things in practice. My partner with Rajesh Chaturvedi goes 25 years in the PR, but we were partner for 41 years in the advertising agency. Awesome. Because the agency existed even before the PR agency. So, so it's a long, long thing. And I think it is an attitude of this kind or behavior or conduct towards each other of this kind that ensures long-term partnerships. But that's, I think that's quite interesting, actually, because you were, you were mates before you were partners. Do you know what I mean? So, which is... Probably quite an important thing, uh, way to come at this. We studied together. We we did we worked together in some place in a newspaper. Both of us were space sellers. So it is a relationship of, so to say, blind trust and confidence. And and my his interest before mine, and as far as he is concerned, it is my interest before his. When a when a thing of this kind exists, you cannot fail. Right. Do you still talk every day? Is that or do you or do you not need to anymore? Three times a day. Okay. Formally, or you just you just happen to give each other a ring. Uh, yeah. Well, and our offices are next door to each other. Right. Okay. So we we live in the same apartment block. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, but that's it. So, but you've never got fed up with each other. That, that's that's. I mean, I, I think most. I've got I've got some really good mates. I'm not sure I'd want to. Um, live in an office next door to them and then live in the same apartment block but um, it says a lot about how well you two get on oh, so you have to manage your expectations from each other <laughs> right. if you're only interested in doing something for the other without expecting anything in return I think it will work well yeah no it's, it's a lesson for, every, for for partners everywhere isn't it um um you've got to you've got to um look after that, that that relationship it's such an important one um just talk me through your uh ad factors upgrad scheme because that's something i've seen a, a bit about but i i'm quite interested in it i just wonder what some details on it 
I think it's a, a upgrade is a edutech startup. It put together a very interesting online course with the. It's a unicorn now. This company, the unicorn, it put together an interesting course with Mica, which arguably is the best communication, the school for communication graduates, and uh, the advertising industry, the digital industry draws a lot of candidates from there. So they they jointly created a course, which is an eight nine month course in in digital marketing, and uh, at some point I felt that, uh, and this is we started about four years ago, five years ago. That, like in the armed forces, every person, whether it's a doctor in the army or a or a janitor in the army or a chef in the army, they must be able to fire a weapon. In communications, everyone has to be similarly digital, and therefore, it was not for the high post. It was not for a few people. It was not only for the people working in a special social digital team. This course was for compulsorily everybody. We have, I think, to date, trained about a thousand people there, and the it hasn't made everybody a digital expert, but the digital quotient has gone up. Everybody's digitally literate, I hope. So is it? Um, is it just? It's, it's not just internal with the ad factors. Then it's can I go and do it? Is that is that what you're saying? It's a course available to anybody. Every six months, we have a batch of hundred and fifty people joining. When new people come and we have a critical mass of new people, they go and join the batch. Uh, well, I should go and have a look at it. Uh, I'm I'm quite intrigued. I, I suspect I could probably learn something from it. Um, just looking at the, the wider um, context of the Indian PR industry, which is something that I have to say fascinates me. Um, before COVID, you know, it's always hard to put a number on these things, isn't it? But it was probably growing at somewhere between twelve and fifteen percent per annum. Um, what do you think the industry is growing currently and I suppose into 2023 and beyond? I think the growth uh, rate in terms of demand will remain more or less the same. And I have a logic for it. Professional services in general and general and PR is a professional service. Uh, Growth, why is the rate of GDP? If the Indian GDP rate is 6 to 8%, the PR industry or consulting in general would grow between between 14 to 15 to 16 percent. So I would think that this rate of growth should be maintained for foreseeable future. You can say decade. I would say yes. But you, so your theory there is that the is that an Indian um, theory you've got there about the professional services firms grow at about. 20, Double, double double the GDP, or is that something you, you, you sort of reckon happens around the world? It's a, it's a global phenomenon. Okay. But our growth rates are higher, yeah. at least yeah. right now. So I would imagine a 15, 16% growth for a considerably foreseeable future. Right. There's there's Brits and Americans listening to this podcast crying at the the, the thought of um, six seven percent growth of GDP currently, but um, with uh, lucky lucky um, India currently, it's a good time to be Indian. I would suggest Madden. Um, just think about client requirements for for a moment. Um, seems to me that it's evolving in in India, isn't it? Client requirements for strategic PR. We've seen. Um, some retainers, but there's a bit of there's also mission mission creep, isn't there? Scope creep um, when you're looking about these uh, th- these briefs that are coming through, and I know that's something you've covered in in earlier speeches. 
Um, and listen, over-servicing um, is not a, 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 a in a PR, sorry, an Indian-specific PR problem. It happens globally. Um, but how do you how do you come at that over-serving as an issue? Is it something that you think you've been particularly successful at in 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 um, preventing ad factors? No, it's a challenge that everybody else is facing, and uh, I saw it ad factors, and there are no easy solutions to it. And unlike in in more more mature markets like the UK or US where there is at least a retainer giving you so many hours of service. Here we have this idea of unlimited work for a fixed retainer and hope keep, keep, keeps going up. So there is no easy side. And I think the difference between the service cost with inflation and the fees we hike is enough to drive even a profitable uh, business, PR firm, into a, a, a no-profit company two to three years. Right. And I have seen recently balance sheets of three three people or three firms who have put up their the the margin is either one percent or two percent, down from ten to twenty percent two years ago. Well you now, can't run a business on that, can you? You can't you can't do it. You can't run a business like that. How has Adfit to solve the problem? I think over a period of time there are Two or three differentiators, no, not differentiators. I think our service strategy or our, our product strategy uh, has addressed it to some extent, which means we have moved into creating capacity which more and more works at clients which, which have high stakes, where the complexity high, is high, where there's a sense of urgency, outcomes are uncertain. That kind of work gets a land pricing. Yeah. I mean, I would, just, I would just sort of describe that as moving up the food chain, if you see it. I mean, that's what, that's what larger firms try and do, isn't it? They try and move up. But uh, whether work is related to capital markets or it's related to public policy or it's related to issues in crisis or severe reputation issues, uh, there are uh, those opportunities and we are increasingly pivoting towards those things. Right. Where the work is... Where, where the work is more, more of a generic kind. I think we're adding value by becoming more and more digital in our own influence by, by bringing in a level of supervision or oversight from the senior leadership that is alien to this industry. So I think we are so far managed, but it's a challenging. Yeah, because the danger is there's always a, a sort of cheaper, smaller alternative down the road, if you like, um, which, um, we'll probably do it, um, for a, 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 a less of a fee, but you're trying to yeah add, add more value to it in that sense. But what's the um what's the average retainer in India in dollars roughly? Or is, I suppose that's a difficult question. How long is a piece of string? But you know, is there a sort of industry average to put it in some context? My my assessment, and I could be a bit wrong here or there. It's about three thousand five hundred dollars. Wow, per month. Now. It it might sound enough in, in maybe some other market, but India is a country of 1.4 billion people. It has a few thousand newspapers published in 40 languages. It has some thousand online publications, millions of people who are digitally empowered or activists digitally empowered. We have journalistic rigor because of the legal systems, which is not the best possible. 
we have all the religions of the world we have a, a language some 1500 dialects are spoken in india so when you have to navigate a social so such a complex socio cultural and political system public relations budgets should be adequate enough to do justice to this i mean underspending is the best way of overspending yeah that's and uh, but again do you see a solution i mean what do you what are you trying to educate clients but i mean that's pretty difficult isn't it i mean what what's the solution to that i don't know i think the you cannot educate anybody it is only when when the the market is the best teacher yeah. and the market compulsions become strong enough when clients find it difficult to when they realize the value of reputation for example that reputation is a significant strategic differentiator all other things being people people will work for companies whom they who have a better reputation people will buy stocks of companies who have a better reputation people will buy products and services from companies who have a better reputation so reputation understanding the value of a reputation is an important thing the second part i think is the the half life of strategy has reduced substantially which means earlier you could think of a five year strategy 10 year strategy today strategy changes three months six months because the scale of disruption is so high when you have a shift in strategy or a, of the way you way you respond to an external situation the corporate initiatives which are very frequent now have to be explained to the stakeholders that require for public relations work and to that extent the opportunity is also humongous while there are massive challenges i mean just the just the aspect of digital is created a lot of opportunity esg communications is creating a lot of opportunity the the complexity from climate to polarization from from regulatory issues to 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 deglobalization if you take all of this combined i don't think pr has been public relations has been in a better situation ever before in terms of pure opportunity absolutely and you you sort of mentioned a few there but you've you've launched a number of new practices in the middle of covid um including the mobility practice and the social impact um practice um is it that focus on esg and sustainability and purpose where you see the sort of future direction of ad factors or is there um, some other things we'd like to talk about i think there are there are two two tracks to it one is the evolving practices esg for example esg communication the social impact of communications uh, but the other part is the sectors there are lots of new emerging sectors for example we launched a new new energy practice for for green energy it's it just caught on exceptionally well in the last 6 months alone we launched a mobility practice so from automobile we are now talking to anything mobility the e mobility and and from a from a spaceship to to a electric motorcycle everything is our target market that's doing well so these kind of niches or micro niches anything that can support a million dollars of practice is good to move into and we find that there's no dearth of such opportunity and do those practices you know as you look back over the years do they come and go a bit or when you when you once you launch a, a practice does it tend to stay do, or do they have a bit of a life cycle do you find i will i will give an example we started a practice 3 years ago called fintech 
it, it just seemed like the right thing for us for two reasons. One, it was a growing large opportunity. Two, we were very, very strong in banking and financial services. We still are. We have 110 clients in banking and financial services. This new practice, the disruptive fintech company, despite the challenges that they face, we now have 85 clients in fintech. Is it sustainable? Well, yes. Will there be a higher rate of mortality in that? Maybe. Will regulations create a problem? Maybe. Will it still continue to grow? Yes. So, so we go through these things. Yeah, absolutely. I just finally to take us back to sort of, I suppose, where, where we began in, in a sense. Um, what's your take on the emergence of quite a number of pretty large mid-sized firms, um, not just in India, but globally? Um, is the old order changing, do you think? Or is it just a, just a bit of a blip and with a few exceptions? I think the, the mid-sized firm gives the agility to the client that, that they, they require. Also kind of gives it uh, uh, the promoters, the senior leadership are far more stable uh, and they continue to provide uh, a service or a, the knowledge curves build up over a long period of time. They are more agile, they are more responsive. And I think to that extent, uh, the circumstances make the mid-sized or the large independent uh, or even the small independent quite relevant. There is no homogeneous market for PR. PR is a very fragmented market and there's a space and room for everybody to survive. But I think the mid-sized independent to the large independent is very, very well positioned to seize the opportunities as we are experiencing it ourselves. Mad Bahal, it is always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Ben, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to have shared some of the ideas. And, and thank you for considering me for the podcast. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.